Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. Power blackouts. They happen every year, but guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Dismantling the idea that everybody has bootstraps. Like, and, you know, I've heard this a lot recently. The funny thing about lift yourself up by your bootstraps, it was actually an expression created to say that's an impossible thing to do. <laughs> like, it's like you, yeah. can't, you literally, if your feet are in shoes, you can't lift yourself up. So it's an impossible scenario. Welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch which would make me the host of On Brand. And On Brand is the podcast that uh, we do kind of the same things every week. We, uh, first of all, our premise is that everything is a brand. Every person, every celebrity, every athlete, every politician, every company, every product, every institution, uh, every political party, all brands. Brand is a set of uh, values. And what we do here is is two things. We first uh, do a big individual brand interview about somebody's personal brand. Uh, today is W. Kamau Bell. Uh, he is a visionary guy. He is the host of United Shades of America, a huge hit on CNN. He's got a new book out that we're going to talk about all about race. It's a great interactive book. Uh, he did an amazing documentary series on Bill Cosby. Say we need to talk about Bill Cosby. Uh, just one of the most important voices about race today in this country and a really entertaining comedic fellow in addition to being brilliant he is funny as hell and we do what we call our brands of the week and these are the brands that are shaping what's going on in the world what's driving the zeitgeist who's up who's down and let's get right to our brands of the week first brand of the week is uh brand down for trump money for trump fundraising this is interesting this will tell you a lot obviously trump has recently said that he's hasn't announced when or has announced if but he has announced, he's he's not announcing when, but it doesn't seem like there's an if as, as far as he's going to run again. And his fundraising is slowing down. Trump's political committee raised about 18 million between April and June. That's 2 million less in the prior three months. In the same six-month period last year, Trump collected more than 56 million in online donations and raised 51 million from July 
through December of 2021. And what's interesting, it puts him behind DeSantis, who raised $45 million in the first six months of this year. So that tells you a lot. And, you know, we obviously, we, we, we see in the polls that almost half of uh, Republicans would rather Trump not run, I think 49%. See, the 49% of 51%, but it's about 50-50 that would, don't want to see him run. So I've said this in many forms on the show, that the Trump grip on the party, although still firm, is loosening dramatically. Brand down for Trump voters in red states. Here you go. Here's what you need to know. More Trump voters in red states say secession would make things better. Red state Trump voters are now more likely to say they'd be personally better off than worse off if their state seceded from the U.S. and became an independent country. So there you go. Folks down in Mississippi and Arkansas are saying thing. Trump voters are like, we'd actually be better off as an independent country of Mississippi than part of this nation. You know, see how that works on your taxes and things like that and, and when you don't get roads built and, and little, little, little things like that. Amazing. That's just, those are the Trump voters in red states. There you go. Brand down for, his a genius, Brad Tashida. He is a GOP lawmaker in Montana. And he said this, quote, the womb has no specific purpose to a woman's life or well-being. There you go. And we wonder why Roe v. Wade is, is going backwards. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. Here's an interesting thing that's surprising. Gen Z actually hates working from home. Now, Gen Z, this is the young professionals. They're kind of the youngest group out there. Um, they're newly out of school, often without an established network of friends, and they depend on their work for their social lives. Um, less than 25% of 20-somethings who could do their jobs remotely want to do so full-time. 29% of employees in their 30s want to work remotely full-time. 33% in their 40s want to work remotely full-time. And 41% in their 50s and 60s want to, remote, remotely, want to work remotely full-time. So the young people... Uh, which you would think are the ones who are entitled and they don't want to be in the workplace and all the other kind of stuff. They miss it. They understand what they're missing not being in the workplace. And I, I think that that's uh, just an interesting statistic. Brand down or brand up, I don't know how you look at it, from Manhattan apartments. The average rent in Manhattan jumped to a record $5,000 a month. So the a this is insane. I mean, particularly if you don't live in New York and you're listening to this. It, now, $5,000 a month, this is not like, oh, wow, okay, some really expensive apartment. This is the average amount, okay? It's up nearly from 30% ago, 30% uh, from a year ago. So rents are up 30%. And a lot of this lately is that mortgage rates now are starting to really climb and a lot of people don't want to buy, but that's insane. $5,000 a month for your average New York City apartment. Wow. Brand up for North Carolina. By putting partisanship aside, North Carolina ranks number one in America's top states for business with the nation's strongest economy. It's really interesting. And one of the reasons is that basically when you had the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, signing a deal in March with Vietnamese electrical vehicle maker, VinFast, to build a $2 billion factory in the state, both the state Senate president, Phil Berger, and House Speaker Tim Moore, both Republicans were involved and close at hand, and, and both sides know they have to work together. Now, North Carolina is ahead in so many ways. Their economic growth at 6.7%, and job growth was 3.6, were among the strongest in the nation. The state ranks number two behind California in access to capital. Uh, they've got the nation's second and sixth largest banks. Um, they've got a divided government, but it works. And they are, they are first. Uh, second is Washington, state of Washington. Virginia's third, Colorado fourth, Texas fifth. And the last place as far as good for business, I guess they are on the whipping end of, uh, of our show today, Mississippi. There you go, Mississippi, not the business capital. Brand up for Bill Gates. He wants to get off the list of the world's wealthiest people, pledged to give away his wealth. Um, 
He's been giving away an average of $9 billion a year. He's worth $114 billion. He says he just wants to give all his money away. And, and of course, uh, the foundation started. It was the uh, Warren Buffett. And, and he also thanked famed billionaire investor Warren Buffett for his longtime con contribution to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He said his incredible generosity is a huge reason why the foundation has been able to do, be so ambitious. Warren Buffett famously said he was giving 90% of his money to the Bill and Melinda Gates because their foundation, he really believes they know how to give it out. Uh, there are 200 billionaires across the country who have kind of did their, uh, uh, have agreed to give the majority of their wealth away before they die. And frankly, every billionaire should do that. But who am I to say? I'm not a billionaire. I do well, but I'm not a billionaire. Brand up for Chris Jenner. Chris Jenner joined the master class to teach a course on personal branding. This is interesting, obviously very relevant for the show, but, you know, obviously masterclass are some of the smartest people in the world who give masterclasses on everything business-related uh, in so many different areas, culture-related, politically-related. Uh, and basically they chose as a branding expert on personal branding, Kris Jenner, because the brands that she's built for her daughters and <laughs> very good selection. I would like to know about building a personal brand from Kris Jenner. Brand up for... Well, take a guess. What decade do you think is the most popular decade for music? And this is based on uh, data shared by Luminate with Axios Magazine. And it's the 90s. Here are the results of the survey showing the Sarah Americans who say they listen to music from each decade. 15% said they listened from the 50s or earlier. 29% said they listened from the 60s. 43% listened to the 70s. That's my area. 55% listened to music from the 80s. And 60% Respondents listen to music from the 90s, uh, 53 from the 2000s, 48 from the 2010s, and 57% listen to music from the 2020s. So the 90s, because it's a rare point of cross-generational consensus with Gen Xers, Millennials, Zoomers, all agree they love 90s music. So there it is, 90s music is the most popular music, uh, according to this research. Okay, huge brand up for Beavis and Butthead. Uh, series is getting a Paramount Plus premiere date. They're bringing back Beavis and Butthead. What else do I need to say? I mean, that's culture. That's who we are. I, I mean, you know, this is not Brideshead Revisited or Masterpiece Theater, but it is Beavis and Butthead, and we need Beavis and Butthead more than ever. So they're bringing back Beavis and Butthead. This is really cool. Brand up the Lego. Lego unveils the new office set based on the classic sitcom. So it's basically a Lego set set up as the office playset. Michael Scott, Pam, Jim, Angela, Dwight, and 10 more of the beloved sitcom's recurring characters, except for Andy, who Lego said is working on his management skills, have been Lego-fied. Toymakers include the world's Kevin Spilled Chili, Dwight Stapler and Jello, and Scott's world best mug. Uh, the plastic employees are set in Dunlop Miffin's most visited offices, including the lobby, the conference room, and Scott's office. Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, clutches his plastic world's best mug. The set retails for $119, and we sold the Walmart and Lego sites. There you go. And uh, brand, brand, brand down for culture, American culture as we know it. Addison Ray dolls are coming. That's right. Addison Ray and TikTok fame launches a toy and doll line at Walmart. She's got 88 million followers on TikTok. And now there will be, uh, she had some, net, she did a Netflix movie, and more is coming out with a new line of dolls and toy insider reports. Look, these are the new celebrities. They're, they're not making, you know, dolls of movie stars anymore. They're making dolls of TikTok stars. Addison Ray dolls, be sure to run out and get one. A huge brand down. This one, hope you're not eating your breakfast. Armpit hair is back. 
and I give it a brand down, whether you like it or not, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. It's still um, Vogue's August cover featuring Emma, Emma, Cornyn of the, Emma Corrin of The Crown is first featured to feature a non-binary person and likely it's first to show armpit hair. The actor uses them, the they, them pronouns, draws a growing number of female and non-binary people who flaunt armpit hair, Miley Cyrus, Lords Leon, uh, a bunch of others. Um, in 2019, Harper's Bazaar article, model Emily Rajatowski wrote that sometimes being my body, sometimes letting my, heart, my body hair grow out is what makes me feel sexy and appeared in lingerie with visible armpit hair. Um, it's trickling down to the masses. I say no. I say we're going backwards. One more way, we are going backwards as a society. Uh, I do not think, and I don't want to hear that I'm sexist. I just don't think armpit hair on women is very attractive. That's me. One guy's opinion. Come get me. Do what you may. But there you go. But it is, seems to be coming back, and I give it a brand down. Uh, brand up for 3D billboards. Netflix, this is really interesting. Picture this. Netflix Resident Evil series unveils a terrifyingly realistic digital billboard. Uh, to celebrate the release of Resident Evil. They have a billboard that shows off one of the fearsome monsters known as Licker. Licker appears to be unhappy about being trapped in a digital ad and can be seen trying to break glass in order to get out. Eventually, the frightening monster makes it out of the ad and appeals to scare the wall of the building before lashing his tongue out at the passing crowd. As long as it's not on a highway and you're not watching in your car and you drive off the road, it's fine. I like it. As long as it's a billboard in a pedestrian area. I don't know about this one. I'll just say it. I don't know if it's a brand or brand down. It's brand neutral because I can't decide on using AI to chat with the dead. New product that lets people keep relatives alive via AI proliferating. They offer, they say, an interactive conversation or recently departed dad or it took the time to record a video interview before he passed. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tool called StoryFile, which is notably used in late actors at Ed Asner, Asner's memorial service. What it is is, it's a long, lengthy interview that somebody does before they die, all kinds of questions and answers, and then you can ask a, a user, ask them questions. I don't really understand it, but I don't know about talking to dead people with artificial intelligence. I, I don't know. I don't know. Can't decide. I really, really can't. Brand up for nap boxes in Japan. Listen to this one. Offices in Japan is only in Japan. Install nap boxes so workers can sleep standing up. It's not like a nap pod. Sleep at work, just stand inside the windowless box and take a power nap. Power nap, that's the pitch from two Japanese companies that have unveiled a nap box designed to encourage a healthier office culture. The device, which resembles a sleek water heater, will support occupants' heads, knees, and rears so it will not fall over, according to the outlet. The plan is to install boxes in offices so workers can take their short power naps throughout the day. Many many uh, Japanese companies requires office 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 workers to work eighty hours of overtime each month, so this helps. And a huge brand down for BMW. Out BMW owners outraged, justifiably so, over eighteen dollar a month charge to use heated seats. Now, these are in, heated seats are installed in the car, but in order to use the in, in, in you 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 in order to use the uh, the heated seats, you have to pay eighteen bucks a month to turn on the heated seats. That are already installed in our vehicles. Brand down for BMW. And those are our brands of the week. And let's get to our interview. This is a great one, guys. W. Kamal Bell. Take a listen. I am thrilled at today's guest. This introduction is going to take a while because this guy's got a lot going on, okay? And we're going to do some work today, and you'll understand what I, what I mean when I get to the title. W. Kamal Bell uh, is becoming a household name. Um, he has got 
uh, his brand new book that is just out, uh, Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book um, with Kate Schatz. We're going to do some of those activities today. The seventh season of the five-time Emmy Award-winning United States of America just debuted. Just, de- just debuted. Debuted. Uh, debuted on, on CNN. Um, he's got a bunch of podcasts. Uh, his first three books, um, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, Tales of a Six... This one says it all. Six-four African... Uh, American, heterosexual, cisgender, left-leaning, asthmatic, black and proud, blurred, mama's boy, dad, and stand-up comedian. He's also written Everybody Loves Kamau, The Real Thing Collection, and his new book is out. So this is his, this is your fourth book, third or fourth book. Uh, I mean, the, the, this is technically it's my second. That other thing was just an essay and a bigger thing. Okay, so, yeah. okay, but, all yeah. right. So uh, welcome, sir. A lot to talk about. Thanks for being here. I'm a big fan. Thank you for having me. I don't. I, I don't. I know you don't know this, but I actually we ate Italian food a, a table apart uh, years ago in Long Island. In Long Island, where there must have been either. Do you remember the name of the restaurant? I mean, it was like I don't remember the name of the restaurant. I was it was filming United Shades, wow. and we were out there, and I was like, "That's Donnie." Why didn't you come over and say hi? Are you kidding me? I because I don't. First of all, I never think anybody knows who I am. And by and the I way, you, like, I'm surprised I didn't notice you because a six four black man somewhere in yeah. Roslyn, Long Island, definitely would have popped. So I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, I keep my head down, even though I, I know how to be inconspicuous. But we were about a, we were like a table apart. Yeah, how's it going, man? Did you ever kind of think you'd be here? I mean, you you in, in all the interviews I read with you, you you have this very humble, self aware like, wow, what this is not supposed to, supposed to be happening to I, me. I mean, to me, every I've been saying this more and more over the last year with everything going on in my career, but like, and also the world. I was like, I was literally a kid watching Eddie Murphy on SNL going, I want to do that. Like, that was my only yeah. dream was to like be a comedian and be funny. And and Eddie Murphy, who is older than me, but at the time he was like 19. So I was like, he's not, he's basically the same age as I am. I can do that. So to think that like, I thought that that was the dream and to end up in this place. It's, it's just like, I, I love the fact that my career doesn't make any sense, but it does, uh, it does actually work. How did United Chase come about? You know, it was, the, it was, uh, I had another TV show short lived called totally biased where it was like sort of a daily show style attack on the news, but heavily race based. And it's funny now those shows exist a lot, but back then it was the daily show and Colbert, and that was it, that was it. Uh, the, the, the Colbert Report. So that show did not last long. And then CNN was had just brought in Anthony Bourdain, Lisa Ling. Just thought Jeff Zucker was starting to do the long, long yep, form. Yeah, to bring, yeah. they, were, they had debuted original series, but they had never built one from the ground up. And so somebody had sold them on this idea, but they didn't have a host for it. And so I was brought in after the pilot was sold. So it was sort of like I was lucky in that position of like— and then every year I've worked to make it, put it more in my voice. So it's been, it's been a problem. Now, my friend Chris Lick is not going to fuck this up. Is it because I'm reading all about it? <laughs> I'm reading all about, well, CNN's going to go straight down the middle now and they don't want to be opinion. <laughs> and, which, by the way, and I, I've said this on the show before, is going to be a recipe for ratings disaster. Like, a, I, unfortunately, I mean, I, unfortunately, we have come to the place now where people want it the way they want it. And mm-hmm. just the game of straight news on on cable television is just not something that people bet good better and different it's just not what people want i mean i'll say this like the the network that not network the neighborhood that my show lives in has changed dramatically yeah. and some of that is tragically because for years my show followed parts unknown with anthony bourdain yeah. it was like the perfect like sort of combination of like if you like this you'll also like this and you know, I got to film an episode of, Part, of Parts Unknown with him, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my professional career. And the sh- on United Shades, I work with many people who worked on Parts Unknown, which has been one of the second greatest pr- things of my career. 
But, you know, the new season of United Shades, I followed Patagonia. And so it's like, do you like nature documentaries? I do. Do you like a black guy yelling about racism? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We might, so we'll might need to, to relook at that uh, lead-in. Before we get to the book, yeah. just a little more in the United Shades, I saw a clip from the new season, which I, my mouth is still dropped open, yeah. where yeah. you got interviewing a teacher, and the teacher could not come out and say yes I should say slavery is a bad thing in school, that I, I, I got to kind of really stay neutral on this slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you asked her about where do we come out on Nazis, and she still kind of yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't kind of uh, come down on either side there. No, no. I mean, I think for me, that was like when, the, when, she, when they said you can't, teachers shouldn't say slavery is bad. I was like, okay, now I'm going to give them, I was like, that's, I can't believe you said that, but I'm going to give you a layup now. I'm going to say Nazis. Like that should be. That should be very clear. We're not debating that, are we? And when she said not Nazis are bad either, I was just like, oh, my God. This, the, my laugh was a laugh of like, oh, we're doomed. So seven seasons, uh, dozens of episodes. If you were going to kind of wrap it up and say, okay, uh, my beyond everything we know and don't know and read, and, and uh, my take on where I see... Uh, it's so stupid to say that the state of racism in this in America right now, but let me put it another way. What have you learned? That America is very much a work in progress. That it is not. We, I think a lot of a lot of people thought America was finished, and probably like if you think of America as like you know people who work on their cars and their front lawns. I think a lot of people thought this car was ready to hit the streets, yeah. and really, this car is heavily up on blocks right now. And I think it's debatable whether or not it gets on the road and hums along again. I think that's, it's weird. I think, and the more we sort of understand that, the better we are. Those of us especially want to be on the right side of history, that it is, you can't, we can't take anything for granted. You know, we can't take, because it's, it's as we've learned in the last few weeks with the Supreme Court, like, we're now at the point of, like, where stripping rights away from people is actually seen as a good thing by yeah. powerful forces in this country. Talk about a work in progress. Where did you come out? I found it fascinating, Bill Maher's take when he kind of went after progressives that he kind of said, look, you know, we got to, there's so much to be done. And it, this mm-hmm. wasn't about race in particular, it was about any progressive issue. And mm-hmm. it was so much to be done, but we also at the same time have to kind of step back and go, you know, maybe we we're getting some things right along the way also. And I'm just curious in that, far from a victory lap, but this kind of <laughs> sense of, um, hey, let's at least recognize some good things are happening. I'm just curious your take on that. I think for me, and I, and I, even when I started to think this way, to me that sounds like the statement of a person who isn't worried about where their next mortgage payment is I coming you. from. I hear you. I mean, so for me, it's like that. There are people who live who don't have to be that worried because no matter how bad the country gets, if you're at a certain level of wealth, you're going to be able to figure it out. I mean, if you look at like Venezuela, there's people in the streets fighting over water, but there's a certain level of wealth in Venezuela where they're not worried about it. So I think that the same thing happens here is that. We are like in a position of like, if you start to say things like that, to me, it becomes like, who are you having conversations with regularly? Because yeah. that to me reveals, and if you see the Bill Maher show, you can see who he's having conversations yeah. with regularly. Yeah. Ba- and I'm like, basically white man, guys. I would yeah. love to get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very highly educated get, white people, right. Yeah, I would love to get Lori Bertram Roberts, who is the executive director of the Mississippi Reproduction Freedom Fund, who is doing the work to get uh, mostly black and brown women from states that don't have abortions to states that do have abortions and they're giving them places to stay and da-da-da. Like, I would love to see that person having that conversation with Bill Maher because I think they would give him a... They would hopefully give him a different perspective, but I think, to me, when I hear people say, like, things aren't as bad as we think they are, you're not talking to the people who are actually on the front lines of how bad things are. 
you know, racism is a is is a word that gets thrown at a lot of things. And I one thing that I have found in, in my travels is the amount of soft racism that's out there. You know, the obvious mm-hmm. stuff, the white supremacy, the skinhead, all the stuff that we see. But I know, I know a lot of people who consider themselves, you know, great purveyors of equality or whatnot. But there's a there's just a softer racism in there. And and talk to me about when you hear those words. Give me an example of, you know, I come across so many people that think they are so evolved and so far from racist, but blank. Fill in that blank for me. And, and because there's a, because I always say to myself, I, oh, Jesus Christ, I think I'm as progressive as can be. And I spend my, you know, I've spent my media life mm-hmm. on air trying to, you know, be on the right side of things and get people to see things on the right side of things. But what are the areas you've come across where even the evolved are not evolved and that, that you just go, no, you may think so. You may think you're getting it, but you're not getting it. And that, which is kind of a lot of the essence of what the book, the new book is about in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, I think th- I, for me, I think about, there's so many different ways you can go into this. If you look at America's, like where America ranks in uh, across the world is education, like how educated our country is and how educated our students are. You look, we're not, we should be number one yeah. because we have the resources and we have the ability to sort of make every, to give every kid in this country the same high level quality education. And we don't. And because we don't, the kids who are most affected are black and brown kids. So if you're thinking like, oh, well, I, well, I put my kids in a good school. They're getting good education. I'm happy. And I'm not talking about critical race theory. I'm talking about, we can talk about that too. Yeah. I'm talking about math, science, you know, I think, you know, uh, an, you know, the, the basics. And also understanding that, like, some kids who go to school every day, the first thing the school has to do is feed them because they did not get a meal at home because their parents did not have the food to feed them. So for me, I think about education as a very clear way in which people think they're only looking at their kids and how their kids are doing, and and they forget to look at, like, what are the kids in the greater community doing? What are the kids in this country doing? So for me, education is a clear revealer of of clear systemic racism in this country based on the educational outcomes and what it, what it in the you know we can go to school to prison pipeline so many things but the idea being that like I think that's just so clear a clear indicator of st- structural racism power blackouts they happen every year but guess what blackouts you've met your match say hello to goal zero the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators goal zero's generators power your fridge freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. I, my first observation about when I, st- when I got to college, you know, I went to a high school, I went to a high school in the 70s, Martin Van Buren High School in Queens. We both, I, I went to Penn, by the way, you didn't make it through, but we'll talk about that a little I didn't bit. Make it through. They, they, threw your, they threw your ass out, you know. Although some of the people who made it through, you kind of wonder yeah, about Yeah, like was, yeah. one of them was a president of, of our yeah, country. Exactly. So yeah, there are, some, there are some real prizes that have come through Penn, particularly Wharton. Um, but I, my high school, Martin Van Buren High School, was about four or 5,000 kids. It was right in the heart of busing. This was 1973. Um, kids were being busted in from Jamaica, Queens. And 
What was interesting, and I went to a fully integrated high school. Now, integrated was a, is a funny word because mm-hmm. all the black kids were in one entrance, the white kids were another entrance. Yep. They really didn't have to, and the black kids didn't want to be there, and the white kids were kind of like, who are all these people? But it wasn't fighting and whatnot. It was just still segregated. It was weird. Mm-hmm. But the difference is when I got to college, and a lot of my friends who grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, or Roslyn, Long Island, or Chevy Chase, Maryland, or whatever, who just had no exposure to people of color, that they approached, I remember just, I'd be walking down the street and, you know, seven or eight black guys would be walking by and I could just feel the tensing up of mm-hmm. kids I was with because they just fucking hadn't been around it. And yeah. you, just how much of that is that is the basis of, of race issues that there's just, is just the still basic segregation in so many ways of our society. I mean, I think a lot of this is like, I think we just, we uh, the thing that's so interesting about this country is that, first of all, it's too many, it should, it should probably be several countries. If you're in Europe, this much land mass is broken up into like yeah. dozens of countries, not one country. So, But I think what that does, it means is like you feel completely disconnected from parts of this country you've never been to before. And so it means that like, and then embedded in that, which I think is you start to see happening, is that people think their version of the country is the preeminent version of the country and you're doing it wrong in your area of the country. So that it, so even if, I, even if I'm struggling in Appalachia, those black people on the south side of Chicago don't know what they're doing, even if I'm having a hard life in Appalachia. So it means that, like, instead of looking out to that person on the south side of Chicago and being like, how are our lives the same? Oh, we both have bad schools. We both don't have enough job opportunities. We both want our communities to be safer. Instead of doing that, you're going like, no, they're doing, they're doing it wrong, which is why they don't have what they want. But I'm really suffering because I'm because I'm being oppressed. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing I notice is that people just really get sort of xenophobic about their own area of the country. And and it becomes more about the team sports of this thing as opposed to like we all live in the same place. We should all have access to the same things. And so, you know, I think that like and, you know, I live in the Bay Area of California, lived in Berkeley for a while. The only place I've ever been asked to leave somewhere because I was black was Berkeley, California. Really? So I think the other thing is that a lot of us get caught up in our zip codes and being told that our that if you live in the right zip code in the Bay Area, then you're then you're already a progressive. When literally there's some of the, all the, a lot of the soft raising you're talking about or implicit bias happens in places like Berkeley, California. You speaking about places you moved around, you were a lot of places, but you really identify, and I don't know if how much does that do with your father, not with Mobile, Alabama, as far as kind of all the places that kind of defined you. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I just said this to somebody the other day, like Mobile is the place I've been going the most consistently throughout my life. So I was born in Palo Alto, East Palo Alto, shout out to little Nairobi. Grew up in, but then moved to Indianapolis where my mom was from because she wanted to go home and take care of her mom. So we lived in Indianapolis until I was like four. Then I moved to Boston with my mom. We lived there from four to 12. Then she moved to Chicago. I was like, I'm tired of moving. I moved to Alabama for two and a half years. I was like, what was I thinking? I moved back to Chicago and then Penn for a year and a half and then out to the Bay Area where I've basically been since. So throughout all that moving, every year or so, I'm in Mobile, Alabama. For a while, every summer as a kid. So as much as as a kid, I was sort of like maybe annoyed by it. Why do I come down here? It's whatever, blah, blah, blah. After I got to be about 25 years old, I'm like, oh, this is one of the few places in the country I come back and feel like I know all these streets. I know all these people, you know? And it's also like my dad, all of my dad's side of the family is there. So there's like, you know, 100-year-old black women who've known me my entire life. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's just a sense of like- and I still, and they still talk to me like I'm six. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like <laughs> there's a, com- a comfort me, food in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and then on top of that is like when 
I think I saw, like, especially when uh, Trump was elected, there was a lot of, like, blame to go around, and a lot of that blame fell on the South by people who had never spent a day in the South. And so I was just like, I suddenly got very, like, Southern pride, not the Confederate flag version of it, but, like, most of you don't know that I that I consider that to be one of my homes, and so I'm going to claim it and put my dad on TV and be like, this is what Southern pride is. This is what it is to be a, a nice Southern gentleman, my father. A little more before we get to the book. I, I didn't say it, talk about that in the, in the introduction, but your work on Showtime on, uh, let's talk about Cosby, the four-part docuseries, Bill Cosby, was stunning. Stunning in that what I did not, had never really thought, understood, is his profound effect on, on black culture. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say black culture, on the meshing of black culture in, into mainstream culture in, in this country and, and, the, st- and the, the kind of contradiction of this beast, this animal in one form. And we've seen, we've seen this more and more in public people, yet this brilliant uh, trailblazer in another and that those two kind of lived within the same human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm at the age where I, when I was born, Bill Cosby was already like everywhere I looked on my television as a kid. Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, yeah. public television, you know, he's on late night TV. My mom's watching him. So he is just, there's albums are coming out. He is just everywhere. And and it's just picture pages. So, and the Cosby show for me was one of those like, you know, seminal moon landing experiences where you're like, I know where I was. I was there every week. I, I thought I was a member of the family. And so I think that we can all love that show, but there's a certain generation of black folks who were like, no, I was that yeah, show. Yeah. Even if I didn't have a father who was a OBGYN a doctor, yeah. and a mom who's a lawyer, in a nice brownstone, even if I didn't have their money, but my life felt black like that, yeah. you know? And so I think just to, and then to, for me to become a comedian, to actually sort of feel like I learned the lesson of Bill Cosby, you have to do good in the world, not just on stage. And then to find out what we all what we all found out and to find out how pervasive his, his criminality was and the sexual assaults and the rapes. It's just like, how do I reckon with this? And I think a lot of us were reckoning with that, especially black people of a certain generation, we're reckoning with it, but there was no public place to reckon with it. Yeah. Without being shouted down by defenders or be or people or or there's no way to invite people to a larger conversation about it. And I got fortunate enough that like this started out as a conversation in a production company boardwalk with Andrew Fried and Jordy Wynn. And we sort of it sort of randomly sort of almost sort of accidentally were like, I think there's a project here. And little did we know what we were getting ourselves into. What what took beyond all the 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 disgusting stuff with women, what I took away, what just kind of stuck with me was the, obviously Cosby was so breakthrough as far as the Cosby show is that the first time it showed a, a black family not in a stereotypical, either in a, a project or something. And that was not 1953, it was 1984. It took till mm-hmm. 1984 to get, that was 35 years ago. That was not 100 years yeah. ago. That was another era in time. That was Ronald Reagan as president. Ronald Reagan in his second yep. term as president, you know, eight years, just we had Bill Clinton eight years later. So this is not ancient history. And it took until mm-hmm. that point in time. That, that what kind of just jumped out at me. I think for me, the thing, and we didn't really get into this because it was just that we only had four hours. We wanted it to be longer, but I was lucky to get the four hours we got since I was a pre-untested director. But like the way in which, because I think if you think about like that, the Jeffersons, I'm sure you remember the TV show, The Jeffersons. How can you not? Yeah, so that show is great, first of all, but it's all about how he doesn't fit, how he doesn't, his wealth doesn't doesn't fit into his wealth. Yeah. How he doesn't, how he's always acting, quote unquote, inappropriately, and how he's always an outsider in his wealth. Yes. And the thing about the Cosby show, it was about how comfortable they were in their success and how nobody was knocking them off. There there was no threat that they were going to be pushed out of there. They never lost all the money. They never, like, it never became about the rent. And just about, like, and as I said in the series, 
when I looked back on it through this project, I realized it wasn't about how rich they were. It was about the fact they didn't have to think about money, which is which every black person in this country would be like, that's the dream. I don't care about rich, yeah. but just not always having to think about money. And so for me, and that means you can focus on your success and your excellence and the family stories of like Theo's shirt is ugly, not Theo yeah. got beat up by a gang yeah. or whatever. The, yeah. the, the, the typical stories would have been at that time. Let's get to do the work, an anti-racist activity book. Um, you've got... It's an interactive book. It's very different. It, it, it's um, <laughs> you basically this is kind of giving help to folks. Um, you've got the separate but not equal crossword puzzle. I'm going to take a few of them at a time. Talk to me about the separate but not equal crossword puzzle. I mean, to me, this book, the crossword puzzles, is sort of where this book started because it was like me and my friend Kate Schatz, who's the co-author, and she's a New York Times best-selling author for the Rad American Women series, and we both live in the Bay Area. We both have kids that it was like in the wake of George Floyd's murder and all those other, and Breonna Taylor and Rashard Brooks and, and Ahmaud Arbery. And we saw all those, all our, many friends of ours, those anti-racist books shoot up to the top of the New York Times. We were like, people are going to read, people are going to buy those books, but are they going to read them? And when I say people, we're really talking about a certain type of white person yes. who's like, I want to help. Yeah, I got you. I got but, you. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we were like, but really, how do we get them into the helping part? More than just whether or not you read the book, how do we get you into the action part? Yeah. And we were both in the middle of, a, of lockdown, sort of forcing our kids to do these brain quest books that are just activity guides for kids to keep their brains active. Yeah. And we sort of can come to the conclusion, like, that's how you do it. So a crossword puzzle is a fun way to sort of separate from your troubles and forget about things and just sort of work your brain. But what if at the same time you're doing that, you're also learning about racism? You know what I mean? So that was the, like, that's sort of the key of like, how can we get people's brains working and sort of disconnect from their, I don't want to learn this stuff brain and get to like, oh, it's fun to do a crossword puzzle. Oh my God, I'm learning about racism. How do we, and so the book is basically based on things like that. A couple other ones just to, to talk about bootstrapping the game to understand the myth of meritocracy. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's a lot has been made about, the, you know, especially when we were coming up, about lift yourself up by your bootstraps. And this is a, uh, this is a game that you can play with a friend where one person is starting on the side where you have bootstraps and the other person is starting on the side where you don't have bootstraps and not and sort of this this dismantling the idea that everybody has bootstraps. Like, and you know, I've heard this a lot recently. The funny thing about lift yourself up by your bootstraps, it was actually an expression created to say that's an impossible thing to do. <laughs> like it's like you yeah. can't, you literally, if your feet are in shoes, you can't lift yourself up. So it's an impossible scenario. So, but it's just about the idea of like dismantling these ideas that we sort of accept. Like, why can't black people just lift themselves up by their bootstraps? And you go, here's all the obstacles in the way of them even getting to the boots that then they can maybe lift themselves up by their bootstraps. So, and it's, again, it's fun. It's ridiculous. It's embedded with jokes because I'm a comedian and Kate's funny. But it's also like, but there's a real structural sure, analysis course. being done there. And how about Jim Crow versus Jim Foe? So this is just a, I mean, you know, again, this is all based on like, we often talk about Highlights Magazine. I right, think sure, of the, course. I'm the dentist Highlights? office as a kid, yeah. Exactly. And it's the idea of like, what is real and what's not real? Is this Jim Crow or is this Jim Foe? And the idea being that like, that like, again, sort of like dismantling your like, we're going to learn about Jim Crow and sort of going, we're going to make it a game. So which of these things do you think actually existed in Jim Crow? and Which of these things uh, did not exist during Jim Crow? And spoiler alert, it's a trick question. So, like, yeah. But it's just the idea to, again, like, to sort of like, and we have all these signs and laws and things to go this and all of them sound hopefully to the rational person to be, you would hope they all didn't exist. Yeah. But spoiler alert, it's a trick question. It's such a, it's such a smart premise for a book beyond the subject matter, the, the way you did it, because 
it's so hard. You know, even today's interview, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm talking about race and I don't want to ask some dumb white guy question. And, you know, it's like, it, it, it's, I know you and I would, I, I, we would have the best dinner together and spend three hours. And then yet, yet I yeah. would, yet I, I was, and as I I talk on the air and I, I'll often say dumb white guy question because it's, I'll preface mm -hmm. it. Whereas like, I know I don't know what I don't know as much as I know. And that's <laughs> yes. kind of like what I love about this book and kind of the framing of the book, you know? Well, that, and I think this is, I like, I feel like this way. Like I, I, I'm professionally a lot of people's black friend. Like I have to sort of <laughs> right. like, that's the, that's the career. As much as I wanted to be Eddie Murphy, I don't, I think the time has run out on that, but I do think that like, I understand the lane I'm in. And there's an exercise in the book called know your lane. Cause you know, people say you stick to your lane. Well, it's like, okay, if you stick to your lane, what's actually in your lane? Because even in your lane, there are things you can do to create a less racist society. So even this interview is a version of that. Your lane is this podcast yeah. and many other things. So by bringing me in here, you're sort of like going, I'm going to use this to try to like, to talk about anti-racism. So for me, the idea is like, you have to know your pluses and your minuses. And you also, it is fine to sort of, I think to me, I will be your black friend in this in this book and in my career. So you don't go to the random black person at work and expect them to explain Juneteenth to you. Yeah, You know what I mean? So like, I think that's the thing I feel like is the place I'm trying to take up is like, these are, and also if you know you have a dumb question, I think it's great to go, okay, I'm going to ask a dumb question. But then don't be don't be don't be surprised if you get an answer that's not satisfactory to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like don't be. And it's actually okay for somebody to go. I don't actually want to answer your dumb question right now because I've got other things to do. As a comedian and as 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 uh, somebody who obviously throughout both in your comedy and everything you do, you focus on race. It's interesting. What is your take on because comedy has gotten so much more complicated in this kind of new world? This. I don't want to call it political, post Me Too, post, I mean, we, we, I don't have to lay out for you how comedy has changed and, and the minefields, mm -hmm. the new minefields are there, some of the old minefields are not there. What's your reaction when you see Michael Che and Colin Jost do a bit on Saturday Night Live where they, where basically Michael Che writes racist jokes for Colin mm -hmm. Jost to say, he doesn't know what he's reading, and, and they are mm -hmm. just as nasty and as fucking, yeah. I, I mean, they just go wherever, yeah. however low you can go, you can go. Are we moving forward or backwards with that stuff? I mean, I think it's funny. People sometimes say comedy is such a, you're going to get canceled for things you say. And I'm like, I feel like when people say that, it's like, oh, you don't actually pay that much attention to comedy. You're paying attention to headlines and things that are in the world, but you're not actually paying, because there are comedians who are saying the most foul things and building careers on that. Yeah. Or, or who are comedians who are claiming the space of, I'm going to say whatever I want to say, nobody can stop me. And whether I'm talking about like, and it doesn't have to be hateful things, whether I'm talking about Doug Stanhope, who's a stand-up comedy legend, or I'm talking about Andrew Schultz, who's a rising comedy star, or you're talking about like like Colin Jost and, and uh, Michael Chandler's Hunter Live. They are saying the jokes they want to say. And the, the difference between Colin Jost and say like, uh, between and like Doug Stanhope is that Colin Jost have to run those through NBC censors and they probably sometimes are like that's too far guys and then they have to choose is this joke worth my job and they probably choose no it's not worth my job whereas like there are still stand-up comedy comics around the country on stage who are trapped who are and I don't mean I'm not judging this saying foul things and people are laughing about it. It is still so, happening. Well, it's so, happening so, tonight. so, my question to you here's you have Saturday Night Live. It's, I'm going to guess it's a 97% white audience. Uh, I don't know that. I don't have mm -hmm. those facts, but certainly an overwhelming majority of white audience. And you have Joe's reading a line that Che wrote. He says, Oh, you know, this new black Superman, the man of steel, except they spell it S T E A L. And mm -hmm. is that, and ha ha ha, you, <laughs> you, you know, uh, 
are we going backwards in a certain way? Because now you're, you're playing to a stereotype. And I'm not an old fuddy-duddy. I laughed. I, I mean, whether yeah. that makes me I a mean, bad guy a, or not, I just I laughed out and loud. And, and it's basic. It's a it's a wordplay joke. So yeah. it's like it's like it's not, you know, yeah. So I I don't think and we I'm are not going asking backwards. you to put put the down or up. I mean, those are wonderful no, no, comedians. No, I'm not, yeah, I'm so that's not I'm, I'm more asking philosophically in terms of comedy and, and how we work things out now in, in comedy about race. I mean, I think that like the thing that I'm aware of is like my career did not exist. There was not a path for this for my career when I started in stand-up comedy or when I started as a kid watching Eddie Murphy on SNL. He was the only black guy I saw. Yeah. Then Bill Cosby was on the couch. So there wasn't like a path for like, what if I want to go a different way? The thing that I think is not great now is you can go your own way. You can really chart your own path and you can do it through the mainstream halls of show business like I do it. Or you can do it on TikTok if that's the way you want to do it. And you can actually make a, a life and a career from what I've seen on a lot of these things. And so I would say this, like the fact that there's more paths and more venues and the fact that like somebody who sees that joke on SNL can tweet, I didn't like that joke. I mean, I, Michael Che has regularly almost had like Instagram press conferences yes. about things that he said <laughs> yeah, on SNL yeah, that yeah. people didn't like. And so the fact that people can be heard, I think is actually the thing that makes this feel better than, than it would otherwise. The fact that people have like, whole movements have been started by things people have tweeted <laughs> just because they were like, I'm just tired of this thing. And so I really don't want to ever censor comedy, I want, but I don't want comics to, I don't think saying I'm a comedian shields you from the things you say. It just means that you're saying them in a comedy context. Yeah. So I don't, but I'm not trying to censor comedy, but I'm also not trying to censor the voices of people who say, that's not my favorite type of comedy. Little politics. Um, would we have had Donald Trump without Barack Obama? <laughs> or is Donald Trump uh, the illegitimate son of Barack Obama? Oh my God! Well, that, yeah, I'll let you get aggregated for that yeah. one. Uh, so, like, uh, I, I definitely think Donald Trump is the backlash to Obama. Like, I, you know, I think if I don't think if we had had George, you know, uh, what if we had had George W. Bush and then uh, uh, John McCain, I don't think there's a real path. There's not the same path for Donald Trump. But the fact is, is that there clearly was a path because many, many people, when Trump started running, were like, well, this is never going to happen. What we have learned is that never, it never is here. And so, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but there is a chance that the next senator out of Georgia is Herschel Walker. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. You can't can't write this stuff. As they say, the shit that goes on, you can't write. I mean, that stuff, if if you're paying attention to the January 6th hearing— you can't write it. It would be if they took no. it to you and you go, that's too broad. No, we, we can't have them grabbing yeah. the steering wheel and, and say, yeah. we can't have them <laughs> throwing ketchup against the wall. Like, it's just, no. and the thing, like, you know, it's just, yeah. um, you know, uh, look. I mean, talking about SNL, I think that's why they've sort of like some of their political stuff isn't it? They go through sort of phases of it being like super hard hitting. And so like, I think the latest phase, it's like, it's hard to be harder hitting than what's going on. Yeah, It's hard to find an angle on on January 6th that we didn't all take the minute it happened on Twitter. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that like, it is, the, it is a challenge of professional comedians to really like, you have to, we have to raise our games pretty high because as you said, the news seems like satire. So many of my guests are, have a political bent and I, I end up spending a fair amount of the podcast on politics. And I, and I always ask people in, in, from their vantage point, explain Donald Trump, explain how this happened, explain how we as a country and explain even more so, I could explain first time around, people like, all right, maybe he's just saying things for the, get elected and Hillary's a terrible client. But 40% of the people still, after round one, said, yes, give me more. And my explanation is race, is that it is, there is a huge part of it. It's two things. 
it's there's a huge part of this country that even if it's not like I hate people of color, but let's just keep things the way they are. You know, they're getting a little, a little too frothy about the, you know, the, all, all the things like and just and I know people like that. I'm embarrassed to say that I have friends. They don't. They'll never come out and say anything. You know, they're not going to mm-hmm. use the N word. They're not going to say they're not, they're not white supremacists. But yet, you know, it's just let's, you know, things are okay the way they are. We don't need to kind of stir the pot a little bit. And I think that's the simple essence of Donald Trump is racism is creating another. Um, and what what it could have been a Muslim, it could have been a brown person. It could have, but it's just the, the basic fundamentals of fascism throughout our time is find enough people unhappy with their lot in life and life and blame another. And it's yeah, that's blame, Donald Trump. Blame, yeah. And that's Donald and Trump. And in America, the other... It, there may be other people's turn to be the other, but the most popular other in that seat is black people. So yeah. I think that, like, there certainly have been times when it has been Arabs and Muslims, and there's been times where it's been, and, you know, uh, you know, people from, uh, you know, undocumented people from Mexico and below. But it's like, yeah, black people certainly are popular in that seat. I would say there's a part of this, too, that is like, that is sort of even just the the way in which we elevate we didn't we allegedly left not we i wasn't a part of this but the but the pilgrims left the british colony to get away from royalty but we still in this country have a, has managed to find royalty and a lot of and for the most part that royalty means if you're a person who's rich and if we have a person who's rich we just consider you to be a good person and if you're a person who's 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 rich we consider if you're rich because you did one thing we sort of then go, that means you must know everything. So I think about somebody like Elon Musk, where it's like... You, you understand a lot of the, you know, you see pictures of Elon Musk before his hair plugs and just yes. like the ultimate geek on the spectrum, you know? Yeah, and also and, and also, I think the idea being that like, we then go, we then go, oh, you must know everything. And so then he's like, I should buy Twitter. And it's like, no, you should, there's nothing about you that says you should be in charge of, of a major social media platform. But because you are, have money, we deem that you, there's people who go, he must be smart because he got all that money. When it's like, same thing with Ben Carson. No, 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 you can be a genius surgeon, but that doesn't mean you know anything about housing and urban development, which he proved he didn't. So to me, it's like, I think we just have a tendency to turn celebrities into royalty and then royalty feels like they should be your leader. And then there's also part of this that is like, we don't, the moment that Trump started to promote the Barack Obama may not have been born in Hawaii thing, as a media sphere, we should have de- we should have like sort of just put him aside. The entire media, instead of going, some people say Barack Obama was born in Hawaii. Some people say he wasn't. That to me was the beginning of the end. Instead of going like, instead of just going, anybody who says that, we turn the microphones off on. My, my birther story is I had been friendly with Donald Trump in, in the way that only people, you could be friendly in New York, like, which means you did business yeah, no, with I, him, you know, you yeah, know up until, inter- interact up until with him. Until, you always knew, you, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to be in a foxhole with him, but you <laughs> thought he was a lounge act and maybe he was in on yeah. a joke. And so the Bertha thing came out and I went on, uh, I think it was the viewers and really came down hard. And, and um, he um, basically called me. He's, or actually Michael Cohen called me and said, Donald is very, very, very hurt. He thought you were his friend. I said, well, he was my friend. That's racist what he said, you know? And yeah. we get on the phone and he get, he, like a child, like a seven-year-old goes, Donald, I thought you were my friend. I'm like, Donald, <laughs> what you, we ha- I haven't determined that you're a racist. What you did was very racist. And and yes. it, I don't know how else to say it. That was the end of our friendship, basically. Um, but that, I just, that always, whenever I hear Bertha and, and I hear that, it just always creeps in my head. To me, that the fact that you, only in a, 
in a society that promotes white, rich white men's voices over everybody else, does he get away with that? Yeah. I don't think there's any way that any black person could have said, you know, John McCain was born in Panama, I think it was, so therefore yeah. he's not yeah, a no. citizen. Maybe no. we can't. That just, it wouldn't have gotten any traction, but because the media promotes a celebrity, rich, white, male voices overall, that was, that. I mean, the fact that Obama had to show his birth certificate at some point just to try to, that was the point at which Trump won. And that's yeah. the point he probably thought, oh, I can take this all the way to the White House. And he did. Um, just uh, quickly, any particular episodes this season on Shades that jump out. I know I mentioned the first one as far as any ones that I think you did. You did seven of them. Any one that really jumps out that you'd like to talk about? I mean, I'm really excited about we did an episode uh, during Standing Rock. We did an episode uh, during Standing Rock talking about the Native American activism around that. And now we're and since then, there's a movement that has emerged called the Land Back Movement about actually Native Americans, some Native American actions saying we we want the land back. We're not tired. We're tired of sort of being pushed off into our corner of the land. And I know it's going to be a very hard and controversial subject for people to watch, but it's also a very beautiful episode. And I think they'll, people will be surprised to hear how the Native American activists in that episode talk about it. Cool. Two last questions. First one, why'd you bail out of Penn? I mean, where'd you live there fresh? Where'd you live freshman year, by the way? Uh, what, the, quad. The, quad. the quad. Do you remember? Do you remember the place in the quad you lived? Do you remember the name of it? What was it? Something Speakman? What Speakman. Was it that was it. It was called yeah. Speakman. That was it. There Speakman, you go. Because yeah. Penn I is one of those places just, it's hard not to love Penn. You know, you got a city there. You got no, I everything for everybody. It's a, like, I was like, I want a major city with a, like not a, a giant school, but a big yeah. school and yeah. campus. And so, yeah, I lived, my roommate's name was Omar. I haven't talked to him since. Right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> shout out Omar, wherever you are. Still in touch with some of the people I was there with. That was where I decided I was really going to pursue stand-up comedy because when I dropped out, I had weeks of just sitting around doing nothing. So why'd you drop out? Why'd you drop out? But, you know, I think I just, I mean, Penn is great, but I think I needed a school that was less pre-professional and more like rounded liberal arts. I think if I had like, known about like Reed College or Oberlin or like right, I just needed a place it. where it's like make your own grades you know like I think I needed a place to <laughs> yeah be I, like I could have found it all right last question this show is the premise of the show is kind of everybody and everything is a brand today not to mm -hmm. minimize anything but every company every person everything sure. and I ask everybody what's your brand and so what's the W. Kamau Bell brand now maybe you have it in the title of one of your books is your brand I don't know I mean I, don't, I mean that's, that's what that that is part of my brand but I think like at this point, I would say it's about it's about anti it's about becoming better anti-racists. It's about always seeking inclusion. And it's also about it's better to be smarter. Hear you. What a privilege to talk to you. I wish you would come over to me at the restaurant and said hi. Uh, on Long Island, <laughs> just, I, it was either Mateo's or it could have been um uh, Ginestra, La Ginestra. It was like, I mean, it was like a restaurant where it was like sort of it's like not white on the inside, but very like a big dining room. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, with some fucking Long Island restaurant. Yeah, I'll, to ask, I'll ask the producer. He'll remember because he I'm knew curious. where we were going. He's like, I know where we're going. And the, I, was like, the, I just didn't. Yeah. The new Next season, time. the new season is uh, of uh, United Shades of America is out on, on CNN. You must catch it. And the new book is Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book, a kind of interactive uh, way to kind of move the needle along a little bit. My friend, thank you and continued all your great work. We, we need it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for listening to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. Rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get those podcasts. That could be Apple, it could be Spotify, anywhere. Just go online and listen to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. And also, you can watch our videos on YouTube. Download the videos, take a look, and remember to subscribe and leave your comments about our videos also. We love having you watch us. We love having you listen to us. And we love that you're part of our brand. We'll see you next week on Brand.
Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject and then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.